The following podcast is intended for adult audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The Iron Realm, Chapter 51, Tracking Prey. At the rendezvous point, the hyena men had not found the rest of their pack. Instead, there were dead goblins everywhere. Nearby, the remains of hairless ape creatures. What they were, the hyena men did not know, but they were good to eat. The hyena men indulged in the meat, for they were always hungry. But it was time to return to level two. Where were the others of their pack? The hyena men were getting restless, and it was not very long before they departed the rendezvous point and took to the maze. Hyena men are not too smart, but they are highly suspicious, and they are cunning. Something had happened to their kin. From the looks of the battlefield, it had been goblins, or was it something else? brothers took to the tunnels quick on their feet, sometimes on all fours, sniffing and laughing in the nervous, sickening way that they were known for. But then they were quiet. It was a wisp of a scent. It smelled like their own kind in the air for only just a moment. Then it was gone. The canines fanned out until one of them located the scent again. It was stronger. And there was another smell too. That vaguely ape-like smell again. And it was on the move. Now the hunt was on and they were running. The twists and turns of the maze did not delay them, for they had the trail now. They were getting closer. And then, they were closer. At a certain point, their senses were blocked by the smell of brimstone within the hall, and their progress was foiled, but not for very long. They split up again, searching for clues, until one of them noticed the impossibly faint glow of footprints on the stone. They were gone almost immediately, but not before the head hyena had beckoned the others to the trail. There was the ape-like smell again the one they had sensed earlier. They followed it, and then there were more faint footprints. For these to even be here meant that their prey had only just passed this way. They continued to follow it, coming soon after upon a door. They were not yet ready to enter the room. Some strange, strong smell from beyond, and it was overpowering their senses. Was it oil? What did it mean? There were voices inside. The hyena men circled the area in anticipation, then retreated southwards to the hideout. The hyena men would regroup there, make a plan for attack, and then they would return when the hairless little apes expected it the least. Having completed the first 50, I see that you've returned this night 
traveler in search of new stories from the Iron Realm. And I, your Maze Master, will not disappoint. Bring yourself now to the circle. You will always be welcome amongst us. I will tell now the tale that has transpired since last we met in the maze. And one more thing, it's good to have you with us once again. The Iron Round, copyright A. Lenzo, can be found online at theironround.com and at theironround.blogspot.com. Character Introduction The Priestess of Sylvanus is called Celeste. She is a human female, level 6. Celeste has long golden hair, rich brown eyes, and light skin. Celeste possesses a fair form, and her body is lithe and slender. She is youthful in her appearance, yet has also the steadiness of middle age about her. Celeste does not speak, having lost her voice, but she holds the gaze of others with her eyes. Celeste prefers to wear dresses or cloaks, which suits her form well, and when armor must be worn, she tries to conceal it beneath her clothes. Secrets of the Maze Master, Maze Master, Maze Master. Character 8 gives you everything you need to be a player in the Iron Realm setting. But if you want to be your own Maze Master too, Secrets of the Maze Master will give you all the insight you need to run your own solitaire fantasy game. Many of these rules have already been bestowed upon you. In former Secrets segments, including details on armor, saving throws, character stats, and more. But one of the things you'll still need is the method for creating your own character tribe. Tonight's Secrets is one of an eight-part series, which gives you everything you need to do just that. Part 2. The Cleric The prevailing wisdom in the Iron Realm is that all gods were destroyed in the cataclysm that ended all the other worlds. Yet the cleric, in defiance of this, continues to call upon divine powers, knowing what the others do not know, that at least some of the gods have survived. Whether this is so, or whether their powers come from some other source, it cannot be denied that the Cleric is a strong companion to any tribe. The following rules will allow you to complete your own Cleric, ready for the realm, 
with all the prowess and power to fight back the darkness. The cleric, also sometimes called a healer, a priestess, or a priest, begins the game with two skilled weapons of your choice. Although it must be noted that all sharp or bladed weapons are disallowed for a cleric, their use punished by the divine power that they serve. For example, acceptable weapons for a cleric would be the mace, club, warhammer, or sling. Note any two as your skilled weapons at level one. Although they have a weapons restriction, it's also worth mentioning that a cleric is allowed any armor in the game up to and including full plate mail and a shield. And a cleric begins the game with the following bonuses which will stay constant up till and including level 4. Death saves of the first kind, plus 6. Death saves of the second kind, plus 5. Death saves of the third kind, plus 3. Death saves of the fourth kind, plus 1. And death saves of the fifth kind, plus 2. A cleric's max life points are 6 unless adjusted by constitution, and a cleric's max life points are increased by 6 each time that cleric gains a character level. A cleric will reach level 2 at 1500 level points and level 3 at 3000 level points. And a cleric also has the ability to exile undead creatures. When the cleric is level 1, the exile roll on 2d6 against skeletons has succeeded with a roll of 7 or greater, against zombies with a roll of 9 or greater, and against ghouls on a roll of 11 or greater. At level 2, a cleric can automatically exile skeletons and can exile zombies on a roll of 7 or greater, exile ghouls on a roll of 9 or greater, and exile whites on a roll of 11 or greater. At the third level of power, the cleric can automatically exile skeletons and zombies while exiling ghouls on a roll of 7 or greater, whites on a roll of 9 or greater, or wraiths on a roll of 11 or greater. The number exiled are discovered with a roll of 2d6, indicating the number of dice that can be turned away. Finally, regarding magic spells, these are granted by the cleric's god or goddess, and the cleric may pray for these once a day, with the exact spells being chosen by the Maze Master. At level 1, the cleric cannot use spells at all, requiring more time to prove his or her devotion. While at level 2, the cleric may have one first level clerical spell, and at level 3, the cleric is given two first level clerical spells. The most common spells of spell level 1 are as follows, Hand of Healing, No Evil, See Magic, Illumination, Aura Against Evil, Consecrate Food and Water, Courage, and Defy Cold. More details on clerics, especially regarding their features at higher character levels, will be detailed on future podcasts.
go forth, cleric, and smite the dark. Tribal Matters. At once Kana's sisters go to her, she's down, and the exposed parts of her body are covered with tiny bloody bites. But in her incapacitation, she is, at least, steady. The Yuname enter, and Celeste, and the others, but there is nothing more they can do for her for now. We've been hurt, says Stockholm, but the chamber's ours. We're very close to the Waterfall Cavern. I'm declaring this our new base camp. If you made a prediction on the tribe's base camp too, and if one of the squares you indicated falls within these walls of room 12, the fireplace room, then award yourself accordingly with the bonus you previously noted. The ferrets have no treasure at all, but the room is quickly searched by the group and scrutinized by the rogues for the remainder of the night as they search for traps and other secrets. The bodies of the ferrets will serve as another day's food, and there is enough to feed everyone in the group. I'm adding it now to the character record. With the light lit by Amazar, the group tends to Kana, Celeste, Stockholm, and those other wounded amongst them. Kailana, as it turns out, was not harmed by the poison dagger, and she returns it to her scabbard, while the others recover items too that may have been lost during the fight. There are no traps discovered within the room. There are some piles of hay here and there, and the room is filthy due to the occupation of the ferrets. Paola takes time to skin the two ferrets found and to prepare them for a meal on the morrow, while Solus, Stockholm, and Orson get a closer look at the fireplace. We're going to have to block this up, says Solus, for there is indeed a space which could allow the ferrets to return. Stockholm and Solus are carrying a significant amount of leather armor, and they have ten suits total between them. These they soak in oil, and then distribute amongst themselves, taking turns, jamming them up the hole, until it seems at last unlikely that any creature should be able to get through. And if they try, says Solus, we can light the oil and drive them away quick. I'm eliminating the ten suits of leather armor previously held by Solus and Stockholm. I'm also dropping them from 23 oil flasks to 18. The hide armor that they acquired remains. The group does what they can to clean the room too, although it is a tedious and disgusting process. Much of the exercise involves scraping the floor with their swords, and the result is at least some improvement. The hide armor held by Stockholm and Solus is cut apart to create mats which are placed upon the stone floor. 
with priority for their use being given to the women, to the wounded, or to those in study. Two more rolls until 10 o'clock. There is indeed some reprieve for the group, but as the hour approaches 10 o'clock, the roll has come up positive. The spikes are not in. I did not state it, and of course, if it isn't said, it didn't happen. Seems we have hyena men. There are more in the maze. As those of the group draw their weapons, the hyena men begin slamming at the door and slamming at the door, and soon it is open and they are in the doorway. And the confrontation is near. Personas. Tonight, Twyla, the Uname Healer. Description. Twyla is a small female, and this impression is intensified by the fact that she often stands with her shoulders and head lowered before others. Her long hair is light blue, as are her eyes, and her skin is a very light cream color. Her horn is light brown, the color of hazelnuts, and it is two and a half inches long. Age, 18. Born on the 28th day of Tetraris, Twyla has a strength of nine, dexterity of nine, constitution 12, charisma nine, intelligence nine, and wisdom nine. She is level one and has six life points. Her preferred weapon is the Warhammer. Her preferred armor? Any light armor. Twilight is five foot one and weighs a hundred and one pounds. Her homeland is the Iron Realm. Personality. Twyla, like many of her kind, is careful of strangers. Amongst friends, she is quiet but attentive, tending towards being almost too submissive. Twilight is self-conscious about her horn when she's around non-Uname. Combat. Twilight is most comfortable in the role of the healer, and, although she will fight willingly alongside her sisters, she is inclined to support from the second line or the third if she can, giving of her magic and her healing to the ones who would defend her. Family. Twyla feels closest to Nim, who she depends upon for strength and resolve. These two have also shared the secrets given to them by their god, Sylvanas, on the mysteries of healing. Twyla's way was to defer to her mother and father and to her older sisters during the time she was growing up. She only exercised her authority with Sira, her younger sister, who seemed to benefit most from her lessons. Twyla was stunned by Sira's death and has become more withdrawn since then. Allies. Twyla, perhaps more than her sisters, has a certain amount of fear in her with regard to the strangers that they have allied with. 
the elves and the dwarf and the halflings and the humans are strange to her, and although Twyla very much considers herself human, all of their allies seem so different, and she tends to be very cautious with them. Twyla meets any request they make of her as a way to maintain the peace, but also as a way to avoid angering them in any way. Aside from her fear, she has a secret fascination with the younger males, especially the human boy, Solus, since she has had, until now, no experience with humanoid men, imagining instead that all humans were like herself, that is to say, women. Current. Having only recently survived death against a deadly malady, Twyla has focused in recent days upon her connection with her god. Although her mother has been returned to her, Celeste is now physically and psychologically scarred, and this has threatened Twyla's foundation. The next steps for the Unime tribe have not been determined, and certainly, when the decision comes, it will not be Twyla's. Until then, she tries to find comfort in the company of her sisters and her mother, clinging in despair to what remains of the loving family she once knew. Position 3-4-7-10. It is the 21st day of Primaris, 9.40 p.m. The life points for the wounded are as follows. Stockholm, 4 out of 10. Kana, negative 4 out of 8. Paola, 7 out of 8. Orson, 3 out of 6. Nora, 16 out of 18. And Celeste, 4 out of 30. Orson has the spell. Ventriloquist, and Amazar has Door Denial. The group is taking a moment to weave Treya's hair with their own, when suddenly the door is slammed open, and five hyena men emerge into the room, cackling, laughing, growling. To say that they are like kobolds, is an understatement, for the hyena men are huge. The group hasn't had time to acquire their weapons, and sensing that there isn't time for door denial, Amazar crouches towards his lantern, working with it to make it light. Orson and Stockholm turn their eyes toward the heat signatures that represent the hyena men. The first of the five is armed. He has a club with a spike through it, and he motions it toward the group, accusing them of having slain their kin in the eastern maze. Oh, no, 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 says Orson, pleading with them in their own language. The enemy that did it was our enemy, too. It was that damnable Maruk and his goblin broods who did it. Please, sir, says Orson. We were just about to take a meal. Come in 
Sit with us and partake of what we have. Orson presents a portion of the ferret meat that was discovered. And hyena men are sometimes prone to thinking with their stomachs. Orson has addressed them too in their own language, so the reaction will be a straight roll. Two dice makes the roll. A six and a four. That's a ten. Says the first hyena man. There are a lot of you, but you do look a little too scrawny to have taken down any of my brothers. Ha ha ha. What kind of meat is that? Let me have it. Orson passes some over, and the hyena men pass it amongst themselves, sniffing it and devouring it. There are goblins everywhere, says Orson, and we really could use your friendship. Let's sit and talk. We can see, too, if we have anything to trade. I think I'll give the second roll a plus one, in addition to the bonuses already in place. And so the second roll, it's a nine. Fortunately for the group, the hyena men are open to this. The huge brutes are dangerous, but they do lower their weapons and sit down at the center of the room with the group. That's a hundred level points for the hyena men. I'm going to eliminate a full day of rations. This would be all of the ferret meat. And I'm also going to eliminate the rest of the group's water, some of which is taken by the hyena men, some of which is taken too by the group. The tribe is very savvy and careful not to reveal that they actually have the dismembered corpses of their hyena men brothers stowed in sacks elsewhere in the room. This ferret meat, says Orson, it's not bad at all, is it? <laughs> says the hyena man with the club. I've had better, but it's not bad for what it is, little man. <laughs> Let's see what the hyena men have in the way of treasure. Aside from their weapons and their hide armor, the hyena men have amongst them 65 copper coins. The hyena men have these to trade, as well as three additional sets of hide armor, which are taken by the group in order to make blankets later. Meanwhile, the group has quite a few weapons to trade, which interest the hyena men greatly. From Solus, they receive two two-handed swords. From Len, a mace. From Bardar, a short sword. And from Lulena, a sword as well. As they sit and talk, and as they converse, the group manages to trade for these coins, which I am putting in Celeste's care. I'll grant one more level point for the coins acquired. Celeste presents the weapons that the hyena men have traded for, and nods only slightly. Huh. What is it with her? Says one of the hyena men. Can't she talk? Well, says Orson, Celeste has only been with us for a short time, but in that time, no. She hasn't spoken. Ha 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 
says one of the hyena men. Celeste's eyes are suddenly sharp on him, and Orson looks at him quizzically too. The group also consults with the hyena men for mapping information and discover that there is a small room, number 18, located at 913, 1015. It is a refuse chamber, and there is a door on the northern wall, located on the eastern side. The hyena men also reveal that there is a room at 724, 1225. It is room number 13, the goblin hideout where the hyena men found several goblins the day before and killed them. Further, the crossroads at 10-11 joins with a straightaway located at 8-11 and that straightaway extends for eight squares north to south, again beginning at 8-11 and ending at 8-4 where there is a door on the northern wall Note that upon square 811, the western way is closed. Stockholm shares some information with the hyena men too, through Orson, though he is careful not to share too much. The hyena men seem to know most of the maze already, but they are able to trade information back and forth for some time. And what about the way to the second level? Says Stockholm. How did you make it to Alpha 1? The first hyena man grins a very toothy grin. That, says the hyena man, is gonna be our secret. (laughs) In time, the meeting is politely concluded with the hyena men picking up their new weapons and exiting through the southern door. This time the group is quick to spike it shut and relieved that this event was not a bloody one, the group returns their attentions to making ready for the night. You have been listening to The Iron Realm. If you would like to show your appreciation and support new episodes of The Iron Realm, visit patreon.com slash theironrealm and be you rewarded. You can also give a gift at drivethroughrpg.com using pay what you want, or by taking a share of premium soft cover books, ebooks, and gaming aids for your Iron Realm collection. And don't forget to leave your five star reviews at iTunes at drivethroughrpg.com and beyond. Finally, tell your friends and spread the word about the world's first play-by-podcast RPG audio drama. Do what you can to ensure the continuance of the realm. Your fellow travelers and your maze master, thank you. From the eternal depths of the Iron Realm. I have been your maze master, Abel Enzo. Remember, play hard or go home. Iron Rail! Good night, everyone.